What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon Trading Card Games premier podcasting duo, today with a special guest. My name is Riley Holbert, and I'm joined today by my friend J.W. Crewall. J.W., how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Riley. How are you? I'm doing pretty swell. And J.W., why don't you introduce our very special guest, the winner of the Limitless Invitational. Yeah, we have with us today, Kevin Kruger. Say hey. Welcome to the cast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you and talk to you as a player who went through, you know, all the qualifi- all the qualifiers and yeah. then made it to the final big tournament and ended up winning that. That's just a very special thing, like a month's work of work, <laughs> yeah. you know, four weekends, right? And then the culmination weekend last week. So very, very cool. How do you feel just kind of I, you've probably been asked this question and, yeah. and given your thoughts to many people, but how does it feel to win this style of event? So it's starting to set in. I've kind of been on cloud nine for a couple of days. Um, <laughs> what, after I won, it was just, just kind of surreal. Then it started to set in. Um, like, I loved my deck. Uh, I got pretty good matchups throughout the tournament. Um, I was thinking back, too, to just, you know, even the qualifiers, I was pleasantly surprised that i qualified um had some really good luck the first top eight run and then i think i made some good deck choices the next couple to sort of get into second day again um but it's pretty uh just surprising that i did so consistently well i've always thought of myself as a good player i've got several day twos irl um but i haven't really had that big finish before Uh, i won a couple week cups in february and march but uh, this is kind of on another level. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really quite impressive just because you have all these different qualifiers, like you were saying, like only, what, 12 people made it in from, you know, the normies. And then we had a lot of uh, content creators making in as well. And that was really what was uh, most exciting to me to see someone that grinded through all those tournaments win the final invitational. That was really cool. So talk to us a little bit, just very briefly, kind of the tournaments that you played in leading up to the invitational. You played in the first one, it was a firebox list. Is that right? Because I, I remember we played yeah. against each we, other. Yeah, we faced each other day one. Um I think it was round ten or something, and I was yeah. you know, and I think you were my first uh loss. Uh, <laughs> if I remember right. Yeah. Um but I I was like 10 and two against ADPZ that tournament. Like it was kind of a nutty run. I was drawn pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a great tournament. Uh, Firebox was something people didn't expect for that one. I had been changing decks that whole format. Um, was not able to settle on things. I don't like playing mirror matches. So I usually stay away from what people perceive as the best deck. So I was trying to find something that could beat ADPZ, uh, you know, had a chance against other stuff. And then the other thing is I really just hate losing to mill. So I chose yeah. the, the deck that Mill was not prepared for specifically. Um, actually got some of my bad luck that tournament against Mill and lost a couple rounds due to bad prizing. Um, and I faced the one guy that played Wobbuffet with Stealthy Hood. Um, but by and large, the Mill matchup's pretty free. <laughs> for sure, um, yeah. And so that was ended up being actually a really good meta call. If, if you play really aggressively and hit your Wilders, it's worked out to like 60, 40 or so against ADPZ. Uh, as long as you take a prize before they altered creation, then you end up winning. Um, so that was, you know, two big, big positives that the day two was just littered with those. I actually had to beat some other random decks this week into top eight, um, Pika Ram and ultimate Mewtwo, um, which my deck is 
unfavored against, but I just hit the right stuff and was able to stay one step ahead. Um, my deck was built really aggressively. I didn't have any hand disruption. Basically, the game plan was uh, get your welders, play Poke Gears, lots of Jirachis, take the first couple prizes, and then just sort of carry your lead through. Yeah, um, really pretty simple. Um, but it was a consistent list, and I, I hit some good variants, and it ended up being a, a really good meta call. Um, my top eight game, I played pretty well, I think. My opponent was playing ADPZ. He won the coin flip, and he played exceptionally well. He set it up so that I was not able to take any prizes on turn one. He always left his ADP active, which is correct. Because otherwise, you take a cheap prize on Jirachi, and then you do a 300 damage on the ADP at some point, and Gus Reposition or um, Dedene and win in three knockouts. But he would always wall me off for the first turn. When he went first, I can't gust on my first turn. Sure. So there's just nothing I could do. He played really well. He drew well. Um, yeah, really good player with the coolest. He was playing heavy Guzma Hala. And so okay. he was able to search out all his defensive tools. Like he had game three, uh, uh, big charm, ADP, and uh, metal frying pan Zation mm -hmm. on the bench mm -hmm. with like three energies on board. And I whiffed Welder turn one going second. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be hard. There's nothing. I, I just, just ran me over. Oh, um, so I, I didn't have any regrets about, you know, going out that way. Uh, I'm really happy with how I played that tournament. And then that got me all excited. Like, wow, top eight finished to start. I yeah. could actually qualify for this. Um, yeah. I just got to kind of keep it up from here. Yeah, and so you're coming off a top eight finish in that qualifier one, and was that kind of the difference that you were thinking, well, maybe I wouldn't play in the other qualifiers if I didn't do well in the first one, or were you planning on playing in all four to start um, with anyway? I probably would have kept playing. I think if I whipped on, like, the first two, uh, then I might have dropped off some of them, um, especially because three and four I was working night shifts, so I had to oh, work all yeah. night and oh, then man. play all day and then go back to work again at night. Um so those ones, I think I probably would have ended up sitting out just for scheduling purposes. But at that point, I was I was committed and I was in third place after the first two. And you had a lot of people rooting for you, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So the first qualifier is done. You're feeling pretty good. Yeah. You know, not not too many people did better than you in that first one. And then you move right. on to the second qualifier. You still made the second day of competition yeah. playing a yeah. similar list. And kind of talk us through maybe that tournament and what you decided to change between between one and two so yeah i just i changed a couple cards i thought the deck was still good in terms of meta um the thing that i thought would pick up and play which did a little bit was mill since it did really well in the first one um and so i put a cramorant in there so i could snipe a um stealthy hooded wabafet if it came down to it sure um but i i made the wrong cut is the problem i cut uh bikini v which is okay your best attacker against Mewtwo Malamar, which ended up being like totally the play um, <laughs> for qualifier two. Uh, and I think I, over the two days I played it like five times and I think I lost four. Um, it was just really bad. And without um, the Victini V, you can manually attach two twice and then still like two shot a, a Mewtwo and Mew GX. Um, and then Spreading Flames is good against it too. I just, I really missed that card in that matchup. Um, and I regret that switch that I made. Um, I played really well. I kept smashing ADPZ. I beat a couple mills. Um, I had a couple misplays against uh, the Malamar Mewtwo deck as well, which is frustrating. That deck's really yeah. just hard to play against. Yeah, um, They can punish you in so many ways. 
so I wasn't thrilled with my gameplay. That was the one I sort of squeaked into day two. I just barely got to nine and four, um, basically by beating everything else. I think three of my four losses were to Malamar decks. Um, and at that point, I'm like, I really made the wrong cut here, but let's just play it out. Um, day two, I hit three more uh, Malamars, and I think I lost to them. I won my other rounds, but ended up uh, like uh, 12 and 8. Um, yeah. So that was a lower finish, I think top 128. Uh, that was a little smaller numbers, so it was still top 128 points, which was pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But yeah, I think if I had left the Victini V in, I probably would have had another win or two. Sure. Um, but uh, I I didn't have the super hot draws that I had in the <laughs> first qualifier to get all the way to top eight. Right, sure. right. And that that happens, of course. Right. And it's harder to <laughs> draw really hot when your hand is like two cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So then we come up on qualifiers three and four, obviously in a new format. We got new cards, new set released. And how did Rebel Clash kind of impact what you wanted to do? I mean, I, I see here from, from Limitless, you played the Dragapult list and yeah. made another day two in, in the third qualifier and kind of walk us through numbers three and four and what you were thinking with the addition of Rebel Clash. So historically, I, I usually take a couple months to really like find my groove after a, um, a new set drops because the meta gets all thrown into disarray. Um, I never know what to play at first. And then I sort of switch decks every couple of weeks until I find something that I really, really like. And then I'll get really good at that one deck and then I usually start getting results. Mm-hmm. Um, Abilities Art or Firebox was kind of a comfort pick for me. So that was an easy transition for the first couple new set dropping i had to test um you know all the new stuff mainly i tested dragon bolts and it seemed really good firebox was terrible because you couldn't hit the numbers anymore um so i'm like okay we're dropping that dragon bolt smashes mill so mill's probably dead um but this deck just seems good uh i went with uh kind of a personal build that was a little wacky i had four super scoop ups um a 2-1 malamar line and uh, a bunch of techs like Zigzagoon and the discard Giratina, um, the other Giratina that you can actually attack with sometimes or just get the two damage counters on the bench is really good. Um, I was testing some Pikaram, some other stuff, and uh, realized it had shifted really pretty dramatically to like a two-shot meta. Um, sure. So yep. my thought was, well, let's play the tankiest thing out there and do some busted super scoop up uh, heals. Um, and yeah. if you're playing the super scoop up, you kind of need the Malamar to like accelerate your energy every turn after you pick it up. Yep. Um, so I had a lot of fun actually sort of building that deck from the ground up. Uh, there was a million different uh, Malamar lists around, or sorry, Dragapult lists around. And what I noticed is, well, these are all really weak to like energy disruption. So people are scared of the quote best deck and they're going to counter it with energy disruption. Uh, Cause the Mal- the Dragon Pult list without Malamar don't have any like, okay, well mine has Malamar. So that's fine. I don't worry about the counters so much anymore. And we'll just sort of set up, put a bunch of damage counters on board. And then once they get 260 damage on you, you just hope you flip heads. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a fun deck to play. For um, sure. It's definitely less consistent than like Tord's version that came out more recently. Um, 
but it was testing pretty well for me and it was fun to play. I, I always, I weigh that in quite a bit, actually. If I don't enjoy playing a deck, then I don't really want to sit down all day and play a tournament with it. Yeah. Because, um, like, if, if you're not having fun, what are you doing? <laughs> I like that mentality. That's, that's, that's pretty the whole good. Point. Yeah. yeah. No, so. Game is in the name, so. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was doing that. I was having fun. Um, I played pretty well, I think. I was well prepared for this tournament. I had a bunch of texts for Picaram, uh, since that was getting more hype, um, which made it so that I was favorable against the bad Picaram lists. Um, there were some older lists running around with like a bunch of uh, Jirachis and the like, and you could take cheap prize there. And usually you'd win with like Jirachi, Dedene, and one tag team knockout in like four mm-hmm. attacks if you right. spread your damage around correctly. Um, and so I was playing a Wobbuffet and a Chaotic Swell to slow down their early game energy acceleration. Um, and then I would, you know, spread the damage counters around. I ran into trouble day two when I faced the good Pikaram list that didn't have any Jirachi. <laughs> and they make you take out a Boltund at some point, which sure. just feels so bad. Placing five damages counters on Raichu Raichu does like nothing. Um, and you basically have to do five or six attacks to win against those. And they'll eventually build up enough energy to one shot you with Boltund. Um, so I wasn't ready for those lists and lost a couple rounds day two because of that. But everything else, Dragapult's just super solid against. Um, I didn't even flip well in super scoop ups. I just <laughs> sort of set up and managed to hide damage on the bench. Um, the Malamar line was really nice to just keep attackers going. Something that's underrated about Dragapult too, I think, is like the V is a pretty good attacker. You do 140 for two, and then if you're smart, you can price trade and like attack with a VMAX first, then a regular V, and then they take that out, and then you put a three prizer active. Mm-hmm. Um, and like stick them with the Marnies just so they can't gust around it. Right. Um, anyway, so I was pulling off fancy plays like that, even with the uh, bad luck on Super Scoop Up. I had a good run. I felt great about all my matchups, except for um, day two, started hitting those good Pikaroms, and there was just nothing I could do. Um, yeah. Also, yeah, Pikarom definitely. Pikaram definitely was that like the call for yeah. a lot of the a lot of the you know high placing decks in that quarter yeah, three. Yeah, for qualifier three. And the other thing about qualifier three is I was playing, like I mentioned, I was working a night shift before and then played all day, <laughs> and then I worked another night shift, and then I started playing day two. Um, oh, this is not no. a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't recommend it. <laughs> That sounds rough, man. Yeah, I have uh, your list open though. It's super, super slick, man. I, I think it's really cool. Thanks. thanks. Yeah, a lot of techs, and you know, ultimately, even if it wasn't the most effective against those, uh, you know, turbo Picaram, no Jirachi yeah. kind of variants, I think, uh, I think you made a really good set of choices. And you know, maybe the the scoop up wasn't the the flip card of choice at the end of the day, but <laughs> yeah. you you had the right mindset, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I think I, I executed my game plan well. Um, I was basically, I was beating everything that was not um, Pikaram uh, yeah, the yeah. second day. I think all my losses were to Pikaram. Um, so if I had hit different matchups, I could have had a better finish. Totally. But right. I was still really happy with it. I think I ended up, I was 10 and 3 day one, uh, and then 4 and 3 day two for like 14 and 6. And I, I bubbled out of top 32, um, which I was a little worried might keep me out of the invitational if I whiffed in Q4. Um, but it ended up not mattering. Um, getting just yeah. three placings overall, one of which was a top eight, had me in pretty solidly. Yeah, I mean, talk to us about the quarter four and then what you were feeling after that finished. 
So qualifier four, I realized that whatever I did with Dragonfalls, I couldn't beat Picaram. It just was not possible. Um, so I had to find something else because I just knew there was going to be a lot of Picaram around. Um, I wish I would have found Spiritomb for that one, but I didn't know about it. Yeah. Um, and I was still working a lot, so I didn't have time to test a lot of new stuff. I ended up settling on a Picaram list that was teched for Mirror. Um, cause I played Picaram on and off, not super regularly, but you know, over the last year or two since it came out. Um, and there's been all these times where it's basically the best deck in format. Right. And so I learned over that time, some ways that you can swing the mirror a little bit. Um, so I did some weird things. I played my own Wabafet, um, which you can either put active and then you play max switch so that you can pop the uh, Coco Prism and then move the Wabafet back to the bench. Um, I also played my own Power Plant, which you can always just choose if you're going to put that down or not. And then right. late game, you stick them with the plant stamp. Um, is usually a big swing. Um, what happened, though, is all of those cool texts that I had didn't come into play because I just got ran over in Mirror by getting outdrawn like to a dramatic degree. Sure. Wow. Uh, yeah. The highlight of, of the tournament for me was just feeling so helpless. My opponent, on the <laughs> second turn of the game, he goes Speed Energy, Thunder uh, Thunder Mountain Prism, E-Power, 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 Boss Order, my Picaram, and Full Blitz for three prizes. <laughs> like you had five cards in your hand, man. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I had a good turn one. I had two energies on that thing. Oh, yeah, destroyed. No. <laughs> That's great. Power play doesn't help you when they do that. No. Nothing can save you no. then. Nothing can save no, you then. No. Well, ultimately, yeah. though, that Qualifier 4 didn't impede your run into making it to the Invitational. Yeah. So was was there any doubt if whether or not you would make it? When did you know for sure that you were in? So, good question. I was, once I whiffed, uh, I, I did okay in Q4. I, I went to, like, um, 8 and, or 7 and 4 before I lost. Um, and then at that point, I was out once I dropped to 7 and 5, I think. So I was, like, one win away from a win and in. Um, but once I was out, I just dropped and then I started checking the leaderboards for like, okay, who can actually pass me right. and how many finishes, you know, am I going to be close or not? Um, I checked late that night cause I was working the whole night. <laughs> so I had time to, to look. <laughs> um, that's insane, man. That's crazy. I, I just was scrolling through people in some downtime and, uh, I was like, oh, okay, there's only like three people or four. There were four or five in day two that were like possible of passing me. Sure. Um, and I was like tied for third at that. Point. Sure. So yeah. I was like, okay, n even if they all pass me, I was still in like it, the bottom end of 12. So yeah. I, I was feeling really good at that point. Yeah. Cool. And then, and then your focus, like when did it start to shift towards the invitational? I mean, did you take kind of, you know, a breather week and then really get into it? Or, uh, did you start testing like as soon as you figured out that you'd be in? So I took a couple days. Um, it actually, it worked out nicely that I didn't make day two in the fourth one. Hmm. Um, cause I could take that day and actually sleep. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it only took me a couple days then to recover sleep-wise from, you know, one all-nighter essentially that I did to play the day one, as opposed to qualifier three, I did back-to-back all-nighters to play in day two of that one. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, don't don't do this. It was dumb, but I already had a lot of points, so. <laughs> <laughs> um uh anyway two days of like sleeping a lot and catching up i'm like okay let's just i need to find something new because i hate mirrors and i'm not gonna just high roll enough to win this so i need to find something that like counters the meta um i looked at the top eight and saw spirit tomb with buzzwool and like that seems really good yeah um, i didn't love the way the list was set up um I liked the scoop up net engine better. So there was actually further down, there was someone who made day two, I think with, with a list that was closer to um, Luke Morsa's from Celio's network. Um, he played the deck in qualifier four and lost a win in it. Uh, but he had a really neat list and posted a video on it. And I'm like, okay, this makes sense to me. Scoop up nets, Zigzagoon, Eveltal, um, with Buzzwool. And I had an Iligo in the list initially and the Cryogonal as well. Sure. Uh, like, okay, this deck just seems fun. Um, it definitely beats Picaram if you, you know, get your Sledgehammer turn at some point. And it looks like it's going to be okay against other stuff too. So mm-hmm. I had like a week and a half where I basically decided I like this deck. Let's start testing a lot. Um, and it just kept getting better and better the more I tested it. Um, with the initial list, I was beating Pikaram. I was beating Baby Bocephalon. You yeah. basically just Marnie them over and over again until they have to Dedenne, and then you just win the prize trade that way. Um, you can do fancy Cryogonal plays if you want, but you don't need it. Right. Um, so I just cut the Cryogonal um, for a, another extra Great Ball. Um, I got a second skateboard in there because I learned the, the biggest thing in testing that had changed is just how I approached the Dragapult matchup. Um, it's a really fun matchup to play. It's really back and forth. And if you make mistakes, you usually will get punished. Super- um, yeah. You really need to focus on keeping your spear tombs back in hand and be able to drop it and hit for, you know, 160 or weakness 320. Do that all on the same turn. It's really hard to do, though. Yeah, it's so hard. <laughs> you want to you plop them down. You're like, it's fine. It's We'll just put it down. And then it's yeah. Zigzagoon, you know. Max Phantom and oh I lost my spear teams now I gotta find another one yeah <laughs> so I did that a couple times and I'm like okay we gotta get better at this um, I learned through experience if you sort of put some, your GX's down and then even maybe get a shrine in play and get a couple damage counters to work with on your bench you want mm. multiple drachis in play you yeah. want you know a jinx or two down is really good and once you're with all that setup, okay and then at some point they'll take a knockout and you activate your Oracorio and you get this big old hand and then you drop with, you know, all the big combo to, to yeah. get the big knockout. Um, yeah. The other thing that's really fun to play with in that matchup is the Eveltal. Um, you just yeah. it for weakness with Absorb Vitality for you Just 40. do 40 damage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, Horror Energy pokes or, or any uh, Shrine damage that's accumulated is like down. They can't one-shot you. Um, and then you get a free knockout there. Um, while you build up your hand for the next spear team combo. So I learned if you play that matchup really, really well, then it can be favorable for you as well. So now I'm thinking, okay, I've got this deck that beats the big three. Um, that's pretty cool. I had to adjust for the combosation that won qualifier four. Um, I didn't know how to beat it. I was getting kind of close with like, I'd poke for 40 and then Doom Count GX their first station. And then the second Zation, you can, you know, hit for 220. Um, right. 
But if they get a third attacker, even just a Jirachi to slap you and then activate the combo once or twice, like you lose. Um, so it's still, it was a little unfavored. The night before the Invitational, I was thinking like, okay, well, I, I beat the big three and like little batting and station, that's fine. This deck's fun. I'm not going to play anything else. I'm going to have fun anyway. Mm-hmm. And then Luke is like, hey, Azul's List doesn't have any stadiums. That's right. We should play yeah. Black Market. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, yep, definitely putting that in. So <laughs> right. it, was, it was 6 p.m. I had tested zero games with that card in the list. Yeah. And I chucked it in there. Um, I think I had three switch, which I didn't need after the second escape board. You only need two. Mm. So I cut that for Black Market. And I'm like, all right, now I beat everything. Let's go. <laughs> you were pretty confident. I mean, you yeah, should yeah. be. I think. I think yes. Like absolutely. With the with the, the Dragapult kind of being able to finesse that, and you have, like you said, that really solid matchup against Pikaram, which was still you know on the table, and the Blacephalon, like definitely not going away. And then now you have this answer to the deck that had just won. I mean, yeah, you got to yeah. be feeling really awesome about your chances. And I mean, you went the distance. So. Going, you know, being the last man standing, was there anything kind of throughout that tournament, that last invitational that you maybe wished was like your 61st card, I guess? Were there any cards that you wish that you had in the list that you weren't able to fit in? Um, not really. Yeah. I think for that tournament, the list was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Um, <laughs> I guess the evidence is there. <laughs> I, I was even I was even ready for the um, the Mewtwo with Mind Report. Yeah, um, served a couple of purposes. One, it helps you chain Marnie into more Marnies against Cephalon, which is really good. Yeah. So it was just straight up better than Cryogonal, in my opinion. And then also you can s- recycle Boss's orders um, to get around dolls and take out the draw engine with, um, mill decks or stall decks. And they can't even sleep block you either because you can knock out your own spear tombs. So I, I was fine against literally everything. I didn't end up facing Chip, who was the only guy who played control. I was ready for that too. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's what's up. Nice. That's the kind of confidence I like to see, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so what I always ask people who have recently done well at tournaments was there ever a moment where you felt like this is the tournament that I'm going to win? Was there ever just like a, a game or a turn that after that turn, it just felt like you were on cloud nine and set to win that tournament? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think I ever really got there. Um, mainly because Luke was basically playing the same deck. Yeah. Um, I was looking at the other deck lists since they were all posted, you know, at the start of the tournament and like this is mirrors just going to be my hardest matchup um and there were some close matches on day one but we both managed to go three and oh um the first mirror i misplayed once and got punished really hard and then just drew poorly the other game and got o2 pretty quick and like okay that's fine i can beat whatever's coming out of the losers bracket and we'll just give it another go um but then the finals was so close um yeah i think I, I thought I was winning when the first game of finals was a donk. Um, yeah. The second game of finals, I felt like I played really well. I executed my game plan. My list was a little more consistent, um, and that allowed me to to pull it out. And now I'm like, now I'm one game away. And at that point, I felt like I was going to win. 
Um, but it started going really poorly for me. Uh, game four, <laughs> I didn't draw as well, and I lost. Yeah. Game five, I had a terrible start um, and was really scraping for attackers. And that whole game, I thought I was going to lose. Yeah. Um, even when Black Prism Star, Black, uh, Black Market stuck for a couple turns and he couldn't take any prizes, and I ended up being up like by two prizes, I still didn't feel like I was up prizes. I'm like, I'm losing this game. My board's terrible. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So I never felt like I was winning that last game until the very last turn when he whips boss's order that would have trapped my Mewtwo and yeah. knocked me out. Yeah. And then I could just retreat into Spirit Tomb and do 130 damage on Buzzwool. I, like, triple-checked the math. Like, this is a knockout. <laughs> this yeah, is a knockout. Yeah. I have one prize left. This is a knockout, and I have one prize left. Right. <laughs> I had boss order here, too. I could have gusted up a Jirachi or something. <laughs> yeah, made it way easier on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Knockout, draw the prize. Okay, it's over. <laughs> that, that, that's what I knew I won. Not yeah. until that very last turn. I, I honestly thought I was losing that game the entire time. Yeah, well, I, I got to say, it was a really fun mirror match to watch because the intricacy between Black Market and <laughs> the Shrine of Punishment, you know, when you play which, yeah. and then yep. when you go in with certain attackers, like when yeah. you go in with Buzzwool versus going in with the Spirit Tomb, because sometimes you want to go in with Buzzwool later just because it has more HP. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, there are just a lot of... And then, yeah, and using like the Giratina to knock off the energy yeah. uh, when you're hitting into Black Market. I mean, what were some of the plays that you looked at in the mirror and um, just to try to pull off? What so, were some of the things going into the mirror that you were looking to do? Uh, first thing I'll say on that is we did not test mirror once. We never thought about how these cards were interacting. Like, um, I went back and watched the commentary. The Schultz brothers had some really good criticisms of our plays on both ends. But we were just figuring this out, like, on the fly. I never thought of Black Market Prism Star in the mirror once until yeah. I decided to play it down since I <laughs> was able to take a prize. And then I had a, a dark Pokemon with the dark energy in the active. I'm like, that seems good. There you go. And he pulls out the Giratina and discards it and then takes a prize. I'm like, oh, that's a good play. I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. So you're so, just, like, flying by the seat of your yeah. pants. Yeah, we're just taking it one hand at a time, one turn at a time. We don't know what we're doing. Um, what ended up swinging it was that that black market interaction was was big, um, and then getting to the Buzzwool Sledgehammer turn is really good because um, it does have a lot of health. So taking the early prize lead, um, you know, can actually set up so that the Sledgehammer works more in your favor, um, and then you're able to take a prize or even two with it. Um, then that's how you want to do it. Um, whereas if you're behind, then at some point your buzzwall doesn't have as much value. Um, mm. cause if you're hitting into their buzzwall for 120, you still need a zigzagoon to get the knockout. Right. Um, and then as soon as they take a different prize, then your buzzwall is kind of useless. You only hit 30. Right. Um, the other really weird interaction with the mirror was the damage counters on Spirit Tomb. Um, if you were the first one to go up to 20 damage on your Spirit Tomb, then the opponent only needed to do um, 10 damage on their spear tomb. And then to take their turn knockout, you had to go back up to 20 damage again. And right. then they only needed one damage counter. And so it works out so that one person basically needs to keep finding Zigzagoon and the other one doesn't. Um, and I still don't know in hindsight, like, how do you try to control that interaction? Mm. Um, it's just really weird, but it feels <laughs> awful when you're on the other side of it. I guess it's <laughs> like you have to probably try to use your own Zigzagoon. Like, yeah. 
to to get back even or, or to yeah. tilt it in your advantage that's that is a really interesting um interaction there at, at some point if you have the bench space and the access to zigzagoon in addition to setting up your attackers then it is like a significant swing to keep your guy at 10 put a zigzagoon down to bump them from 10 to 20 and then you do a 40 damage knockout and then they sort of have to have the answer coming back and if you do that in addition to the Giratina interaction with the black market, now you're like making them find two scoop ups yeah. um, or two basics, you know, some combination of those in order to to keep things going back and forth. But yeah, it was it was a fun match and really strange mirror matchup uh, that we were expecting. We were joking the night before, like, oh, friends, and we have the same deck and we think it's great. So we'll just see. Uh-huh. Well, I'll play you in the finals. Um, not knowing fun. that it would we'll, actually we'll end up happen. on other sides of the bracket and then we'll just win and then we'll play each other in the final. that's always the dream <laughs> yeah yeah the, the dream you know you what you're, you're playing to win you might as well be confident and like talk like that but it's you know tongue-in-cheek um yeah. you're, you're joking and then it actually happens and uh you don't know how to play the mirror uh yeah. and who knows how many people watching you <laughs> sure while you you know fumble over your own deck trying to, to figure out all these interactions uh, but that's a good problem to have uh being being against your friend and having the best deck in the tournament and uh being stuck in the finals against each other that's that's pretty great absolutely absolutely that's awesome yeah and shout outs to luke uh, as well for for um you know coming up with a similar version of that deck yeah, and yeah. and performing extremely well with it so uh so after you win you just are very excited what does it do what does this win mean for you for like your confidence moving forward in the game and and do you place it kind of on a level of like a regionals or even like a world championship win or maybe a naic win you know kind of an international yeah. championship good question like, i've been thinking about that um you know for me personally this was my replacement for um my work schedule was pretty good this year and i was pushing for a world's invite for the first time uh, i got up to 300 cp before the season was canceled um and i was going to go to both berlin and this um wow. so i i've been getting cp at every uh standard major event this year so i was like right on track um to go to worlds i had bought my ticket to london already yeah uh, so I was super excited about all this, you know, traveling, Pokemon, meeting new people, starting to get better performances, and then everything's canceled. Um, which, like, I get. I work. I work in medicine, um, and it's was the right call to cancel them. Uh, but also, it was like all of the fun was gone uh, that I was looking forward to. So seeing the limitless, um, you know, promo video that they put out, I'm like, this is this is the next best thing. We're we're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it my best shot. And to to come out on top is just yeah it's it's pretty crazy it, it feels like I won a regional um, and it's not the same because it's all online in the decklist republic and um, you know you have like I never won a thousand person tournament I I just placed in three out of four and then I won a sixteen person yeah um, sure sure but it but it feels like I beat all two thousand people that had you know entered in these um, sure which is pretty cool and then the other surreal thing is you know going to limitless like i do all the time and then my name pops up in first place and then i go to youtube and everyone's like first place spirit team deck and they have my exact <laughs> 60 trying to figure it out um, yeah it's like oh i made it uh this is pretty cool uh I, i've been playing for three years and 
and had some finishes here and there, but nothing like this before. Um, and it, I, I've known sort of internally, uh, I feel I'm a, a top tier player, but having a result to validate that is, is a big change. Um, the other fun thing for next year is I'm going to have the Limitless Invitational Championship mat that I can tell. Hey, the there you <laughs> go. The Pretty, flag. Maybe intimidation dude. factor. Absolutely. <laughs> you may have heard of me as uh, the champion. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, it really was like just such an international tournament. I mean, lo- we looked yeah. at kind of the participation across the world and uh, to be as consistent as you were over the course of four tournaments and then the invitational is really very impressive to me. So uh, once again, just congratulations. Hey, and so, so we kind of look at the the big picture with the limitless overall and kind of the online tournament format as it stands now we probably won't have for a while in-person tournaments and so kind of give me your thoughts on this online landscape do you think this is something that limitless should attempt again uh do you think that you're going to start doing more like pokemon stuff where they are hosting the tournaments like what do you think about just this online landscape and do you enjoy it do you not and kind of give me your thoughts good question i um start by saying i definitely am a better player online because i have more experience um i played for probably a year or two strictly online um how to build decks i learned what was meta what wasn't um you know the new sets would come out and i'd slowly sort of get the hang of it um and when I finally started buying cards, I felt like I was already probably an above average player. Sure. Um, but my skills in person were just way behind. Um, there's a lot that goes into organizing your cards and shuffling and keeping track of your hand. And the online system does that all for you. When you search your deck, it has everything sorted, Pokemon and trainers and then energy. So you can check your prizes in like a minute. Um, you can't do that fanning through a random card of a uh, deck of 60 cards. Like it's a completely different skill. Um, and keeping track of interactions while you're manually, you know, keeping track of which abilities you've used and then manually calculating damage. I mean, it's, you have five times as many things to think about playing in person. Um, so I'm still learning to optimize that and get better. Online is kind of my sweet spot where I feel comfortable. I've done it enough that it's, it's second nature so i'm i'm thinking entirely about the game and not about any of these other mechanics going on um so the other thing uh, with decklist being public adds an entire new strategy yeah Um, these tournaments i could know exactly what options my opponent has to play and i think one of my strengths as a player is analyzing all the different possible you know, responses that my opponent might come up with and then making contingency plans for those. Um, and when you know their exact 60, you can do that extremely precisely. Um, and so you know when you can make an aggressive play and there's no chance of you getting punished. And, and then you can also know what are the odds that they're going to take a return knockout here? Do I need to prioritize a back attacker? Um, making all those calculations and probabilities is something I'm good at. So the online game and knowing the deck lists is inflating my performance in this um but that being said it's really fun i think if we're going to do this for like really big money uh prizes we need something with less bugs and more support from the parent company um that's like a highlight for me is this is not good enough for seriously competitive gameplay um it works for what it is 
uh, everyone just dealt with the bugs. Uh, it swung game one in the losers finals bracket for me, which I is terrible, but we didn't know about the bug. No one was playing black market or Zamazenta. So how, how would you know that that's going to come? Um, I yeah. played zero time games with the card. It's just, it's inevitable that that happens at some point, um, which is a shame now, but if it costs somebody a $25,000 championship title, um, that's unacceptable. Um, so I think it'll still be a thing kind of on the same scale that it is now. I hope it continues. I know Limitless was talking about maybe doing it again. I think there's some merit to doing this, um, you know, maybe in the off season, like away from NAIC World Championship season, something else to get hyped about and play online. Um, definitely for the next couple of months, it's going to continue to be a thing, which is good. It's a lot better than nothing. Um, yeah. But long term, uh, there's potential that needs to be realized with probably a whole new program from scratch. And I know everyone's talking about that. I'm not holding breath. Uh, if anything, it's probably years down the road. But um, if if Pokemon wants to get serious about being, um, you know, competitive with the other card games and doing an online system right, there's a huge market for it. That's, that's one of the takeaways. Um, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, that drew so many people, and it's you know technically this was a grassroots event the whole way through. So yeah, yeah, you know, you got to keep it all in perspective as well. That's that's awesome though. We talked, I feel like, with a lot of different people over the last few months yeah. about the the <laughs> yeah, issues with TCGO, and I feel like you've yeah. had a, a very nuanced take on it, um, more with more in depth information. I feel like that we've gotten with most of our guests so far. So, uh, and maybe that's because you've been an online player through and through from yeah. the get go, but. <laughs> uh that was really cool to hear thanks awesome yeah so i i agree i think you know probably tcgo is the way to go for now i i really like the idea of doing something like that in that naic world's gap period uh, that yeah, would be, yeah that would be super fun i always feel like that period's super awkward <laughs> it's yeah for people that already you know they're qualified versus the people that didn't it's like you're in an entirely different world yeah that's right you actually no are. <laughs> <laughs> very cool so you know coming off of this win you had a lot of success over the course of various different qualifier tournaments you know someone sees this and maybe they don't they've had similar experiences in real life where you know they're chipping away at finishes but haven't had that big breakthrough yet what would your recommendation be to them would it be a like a testing element would it be like a deck choice how would you how would you relay your success and ways to replicate it? Um, yeah, good question. That's something I haven't thought about too much. Um, for me, this is my fun outlet. Um, work is stressful and variable, and um, to be honest, there's a lot of months that I don't like my job, but it's just part of my training. Um, I know what I want to do long term, and I'm not there, which is like frustrating. Yeah. Um, so Pokemon is like a purely fun outlet. I see people get stressed, um, which I understand about trying to metagame, mm. trying to get the perfect deck. Um, I think it's helped me to sort of be a little bit more casual about it, which is counterintuitive. Um, but what I mean by that is you should play decks that you enjoy playing. Um, you should be constantly optimizing your deck and changing it and modifying it not only to you know get the right consistency and the right text and matchup spread but also to you know adjust for your own personal play style like never take a list online and say this is something that i can't change um i always change four cards just because i'm 
playing a couple rounds and saying, I need more ball search. I'm going to take this out. I'm not using this card. Um, and just adjust as you go continually. Um, like I'm doing that process for weeks in advance over, over the course of a tournament. I end up with deck lists that look weird. Um, but I know what every card in there is for because I built it. Um, yeah. And that, that allows you to play your deck optimally because you put it together and you put the thought behind it. Um, the other thing is if someone has a good idea for a tech or a last minute inclusion or something that swings a matchup, like throw it in there. I black market was fantastic. It won me, um, the game against Azul, uh, bug or no bug. Um, and it was the perfect card for that matchup. And that was the only matchup that was really struggling. With. Um, so just keep an open mind about, you know, trying stuff out. Uh, and if you have a last minute idea, just, it's a game, man. You're having fun. Just throw it in there and then do your best with each individual hand. Um, I think you naturally get better the more you play. So I haven't felt like a dramatically different player, you know, over the last couple of years, but like slow accumulation of getting more skills as you go along um, and listening to how other people talk about the game, reading articles from good players, see how they think about building decks, how they think about playing matchups. Um, all of that will just sort of seep into your brain over time to the point where you make better decisions in game. Uh, there's definitely things that I think of now that could swing a game or swing a matchup um, that I wouldn't have even thought of to. Um, and that comes from just enjoying the game and paying attention to people. Um, something that stuck with me from like two years ago, uh, I think it was Seagrove did an interview for uh, with Tord about deck building. Mm. And Tord said, if you play 10 games with a deck and paraphrase, if you play 10 games and you're not using the once take it out for consistency as like a really simple tip um but if you're i i took that to heart and i always am looking for wasted space in my deck and looking to cut things out and again yep. optimize um yep. if a deck if a card is really important then you're going to end up playing it. the for spirit tomb the cards that i was really wanting were skateboard so that i could promote something with free retreat and then draw a bunch of cards and then see what play was correct um, so having a second one in there was huge. Um, mm. Having the extra great ball. I've always wanted an extra spear tomb, an extra something on the first turn. Being able to great ball for some random thing is fine. You just take something useful of any quick ball, or whatever you didn't find in the grip. <laughs> um, so having two of those was, was really nice just to be able to set up. Um, so that's that's my advice, I guess, is probably a long-winded answer. But uh, think for yourself and have fun, and um, you'll, you'll get better as time goes on, if you love the game and you people, you learn as you go, um, then you'll just, you'll keep getting better. Definitely. No, yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a great answer. And I definitely appreciate your sentiment that, you know, you should be enjoying yourself while you play this game. I, I feel like sometimes people get lost in the sauce and, and <laughs> yeah. in the end, I feel like if, when you stop enjoying yourself, you start losing anyway. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get more and more upset and, and things go to crap tap. Crap yeah, I play, I play terrible decks that I really enjoy, and I do better than when I play the quote best deck in format, and I hate playing you it. Hate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, maybe that's cognitive bias, but I also think when you're having fun, you're more engaged in the game, and you think of more things. So sure, something to it. Sure, sure, that's great advice. Absolutely. So it's at this point in the cast that we usually open up to questions from the chat. Uh, so if anyone has a question for Kevin, we would love to ask 
him now. And Cashman says, if not for Spiritomb, were there any other decks that you are considering for the Invitational? Um, question, Cash. I love that guy. He's one of those guys that just has so much fun playing, and he's really into what he's into. Um, so he's a cool dude. Anyway, uh, to answer the question, I was honestly considering um, control in an untimed online format. It's really strong, but I didn't do it because I don't like playing control. Um, <laughs> the other thing I was considering was probably going back to Dragapult, mm-hmm. but it just the same thing scared me off of it as it did in Qualifier 4 is you can't beat a good peek around us. Uh, and I think that's still probably true even with uh, Tord's super consistent version. Um, they'll just they'll one shot you at some point and then you lose. Yeah. Cool. We have CFS11 says, was Eveltal in the list for a specific matchup or was it there just for, uh, you know, taking knockouts that Tomb couldn't get? You mentioned that obviously the Eveltal yeah. is going to be good if you can poke into a Dragapult VMAX and then follow it up with the GX attack. Did you ever find yourself using Eveltal in any other matchup? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, lots of matchups. Sure. Uh, Eveltal is there to be the best card in the deck. Um, <laughs> that's a good answer that's, that's the specific reason for it um, so this is something I've talked about in like random YouTube comments over the last couple of days um, and I'm thinking about just writing out an article for like Limitless or somebody because I just want to get my thoughts down you know in a way that's more concrete um, but Eveltal GX attack is way better than the other ones that people play in this archetype so Blacephalon or the Buzzle Feramosa they can take you a free prize at some point, like which is nice, um, but they're not taking an impactful knockout. You're not taking a big threat off the board. Um, so that's a huge difference. Um, the really great thing about Eveltal um, is you can take a knockout turn two with it every game. Mm-hmm. It's not hard. Uh, you go second in every matchup other than like Turbozation because they can't attack on turn one, but vast majority of matchups you're choosing to go second Whatever they leave active, you can either knock out a Drachi for a prize, which gives you the aggression advantage, or if they leave something big up, you poke it for 40 with your Spirit Tomb, and then you push Eveltal up and just dig for your Spirit Tombs. And yeah. what's great about that is now you have uh, essentially a free knockout, and you're not investing all of your damage counters into a new Spirit Tomb that's going to get Right. So right. that second turn of the game is really important, with Eveltal, you can take a huge knockout on a tag team, a VMAX, uh, a big GX, a Zation V, whatever they left up there, and you get two to three spear tombs on the bench and start building spike. And once you get that momentum swing, you have attackers for the whole late game. You, you don't need Nihiligo, you don't need Kragonal or anything weird, you just need spear tombs in the late game. Hitting 220 damage with the one prizer plus Zigzagoon, Pricks, and Shrine like you're going to win every matchup if you just set mm-hmm. those up yeah. and giving up two prizes with the isn't a big deal when you have, you know, your two attackers set up now on the bench for like, uh, you know, you are going to use jinx to take damage counters off of the Eveltal, Um, and then just, you want all of your damage spread out on the bench so they can't get rid of it. And then you can swing for 160 plus out of nowhere, every turn for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my experience with the I used it every single round one of the invitational um i actually won my round one 
with a hustle belt play on the Veltal. Um, I had to bench it early because I had research as my opening draw supporter. <laughs> sure. And then he gusted it up and hit it for 30. Um, thinking he didn't want to get cheesed. The game two, I beat him with the, you know, the 40 uh, absorbed vitality and then doom cut. So he says, I'm going to gust it up early. I'm like, no, you, you don't, you don't got that. I throw hustle belt on there. I jinx up to 150 damage and then do absorb vitality for heal 160. Oh, let's <laughs> go. Two shot I two shot his Dragapult VMAX that way. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah, so it's like, nasty. It's, it's the perfect card to counter Dragapult. And the matchup's actually really terrifying without it. Um, yeah. So you think you trading three prizes for one, you just win, but it's really hard to pull the combo off twice. They're taking out all your pivots and support Pokemon. You can't bench the spear team early like you can in every other matchup. Um, so you really, you actually need that. Um, round two, I faced uh, Luke Metalization and. I won both games. I used Doom Count in both games. Uh, the first one was against a uh, frying pan um, Luke Metal. So I put two damage counters on my Spirit Tomb to do seven. It dropped down to 40 after the damage reduction. And then I did Doom Count for three prizes on the next turn. Uh, easy. And now he's got to try to set up another attacker, and he's way behind in the price trade. Um, yep. Game over at that point. The other game, he set up a Zation first. Um, and he took a prize with it, but I was able to poke it for 40 and then doom count on the Zation. He didn't have another attacker. Ball. Um, so he then had to spend two turns getting his Luke metal powered up because he invested all his early energy and, you know, metal patches into the Zation. Uh, and so I just, Eveltal is a really aggressive card, which is weird to say, but it, it is in this archetype. It just synergizes with the rest of the deck um, super well. The third round, um, was on stream. I want to go back and watch that from the Limitless channel. It's ADP Zation, and it won me the third game. Um, he left his ADP active turn one, so I poked it for 40 Doom Count so that he couldn't um, use Ultimate Raid at any point. Um, and then he prized all his metal patches so he couldn't uh, set up a second attack. Oh, um, yeah. So, yeah, Evelto won me all three games day one, uh, and then it didn't come into play against Mirror. Um, or in my specific games against Azul, it didn't, but it could have. So, sure, sure, that's great. That's a great overview of that card, and I think there are a lot more uses than the average person would expect. I mean, honestly, yeah. when when you were talking about, you know, okay, I would hit it specifically for you know forty. They're active with Spirit Tomb. I'm that's a play that I wasn't really even thinking of. You know, I haven't had that come up too many times in my gameplay, but. <laughs> That's brilliant, yeah. you know? You and would actually, great. like, you know, if you had to attach a rainbow, maybe you don't build Spite that turn and just hit it for 40, and then you can yeah. bring up the Evelto. You know, there are just little plays like that or where it's, like, kind of counterintuitive to what you yeah. would think. The the real winning play is to do the rainbow, build Spite, and then jinx it to your bench <laughs> and hit for less damage than you could. <laughs> there you go. I, I did that in my game, two against ADPZ, and the commentator for why is he hitting for less damage? This doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I'm not trying to hit 220, man. Just 40 is good. Um, yeah. He was able to gust around my black market game, and I lost that. That, that was the right play. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. uh, and, and now you have damage counters on the bench. You need damage counters on the bench. It's not a small issue. That's right. I mean, you really like. I I think some people think that Spirit Tomb is kind of this aggro deck, and it has that element to it, especially when it's pretty easy to knock out like a Jirachi. But uh, all told, like you just 
are playing the long game because the longer the yes. game goes on, the more damage counters you can build up, the more you can build up your board presence, uh, the greater chances of winning. And you just outlined that very yeah. well. So that's that's why Evolto is good. Is it's your essentially lead attacker or technically second attacker, sure. but it's yeah, the, early the, game attacker to put pressure on, and then you build up all your other attackers for the rest of the game. It's it's hard to cycle spear teams, really really hard. Yeah, no, That's that totally awesome. makes sense. Yep, gives that extra turn to, to build that spite and get a bunch of damage counters on your bench. Cool. So we have one other question, and then we can probably wrap it up, and you can give your shout-outs. Uh, Cashman coming in with one more, asking, are there any other new techs you'd recommend to add-ins for Spirit Tomb? So maybe something for the mirror, or yeah. a miscellaneous matchup that you didn't account for in your first go. So people are teching against Spirit Tomb now, um, and it's not hard to tech against because it's basic or sorry special energy single energy so as my deck loses to shuckle gx alolan persian gx and uh Zirkitry gx mm-hmm. um, those are easy one-off techs for a lot of things so you can counter all of those with one card uh play shadow box mimic you you already play zigzagoon so you drop a damage counter on it you turn the ability off for 220 like you would anyway um so you kind of have to play that now, which is annoying because it's not going to be useful all the time. I guess it wins you maybe Mewtwo and Mew. Uh, yeah. Mew 3 is still around for whatever reason. Um, but you sort of have to play that now. It, people are playing basic energies, but that doesn't really do it for you because you don't have any way to search. And Viridian would just be like the worst thing ever for the deck. So um, play play Shadow Box if you're going to play it to any of the upcoming tournaments. It's, yeah. That's the pro deck. Yeah, and then you get into the weird loop where now they're going to play like Stealthy Hoods and you have to play Tool Scrapper. <laughs> <laughs> the classic Yeah, scenario. yeah, you Cat and mouse. Yeah, a little bit of push and pull there until the decks end up both being horrible and, and you just go back to square <laughs> yeah, zero. That's something else that could actually like draw cards. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kevin, it's been awesome having you. You've had a lot of really yeah. awesome insight, really nuanced opinions. I think all of our listeners and viewers will really happy to hear all the things you have to say is there anything that you want to shout out or call out as we wrap up today uh yeah i guess i got a couple um i've been shouting out the limitless people just for putting on such a great event uh, i had a lot of fun it wasn't worlds but it was definitely the next best thing and uh, if i'm being honest i probably wouldn't have won worlds and i won this one so i guess i'll <laughs> take it as a net win. um a shout out to uh my testing partners friends Braden and alan just random guys I met playing online, and then we ended up going to some regionals together. They're pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, last one is I'm going to start streaming at some point, so look out for that. I tried doing it once, and my computer slash internet's terrible, so I'm going to upgrade those and then try again. Um, cool. But it's going to be fun. I, I, I think I'm going to enjoy talking uh, as I play um, and interacting with chat if there's ever a chat. Um, but keep, keep an eye out for that, I guess, in the next couple of weeks once I buy a computer. Because I have the money. I'm just really cheap. Me um, too, man. <laughs> JW is the king of being cheap. So. <laughs> We're kindred spirits on that for sure. Yeah. Well, you got to get the new egg deals too. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Good stuff, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, good. I show, we look... I show up to regionals. I don't even have my deck built because it's <laughs> too cheap to buy packs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that I mean, you're you're talking right to me, bro. You're talking right. To me. <laughs> so good. Thank you again, Kevin, for joining us. We wish you all the best in future Pokemon and streaming endeavors. Yeah. And uh, congratulations once again. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's really fun uh, having me. So shout out to you guys. Last one. I-
<laughs> well, thank you. Nice, Kevin. nice to meet you. Nice to meet you more officially. Absolutely. 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 Well, everyone, we'll catch you all next week on the next episode of Tag Team. This has been Tag Team, joined by Kevin Kruger, and we're signing out. Peace. See you.